Good morning, and uh, it is my uh, honor and privilege again to be able to speak to you about missions and be, from the view, from the viewpoint of a missionary. I mean, I've uh, I and my wife have been missionaries in Ireland for 27 years. It was 41 years ago next, well, in June, where uh, God got a hold of my heart. He had somebody give me a gospel track and tell me that I needed to be saved. I didn't know what to be saved from or what it even meant. So uh, thankfully, she had the answers, showed me out of the Bible that, uh, that God wanted me, that God loved me, that God had done everything he could to make my sin paid for. And it was, uh, it was a gift. Uh, I, I couldn't understand why, why I had missed all of this and uh, why I grew up without understanding any of this stuff in the Bible. But let me tell you, now that I understand it, I love it. And I, I, I am privileged to be able to um, spend time with you this morning. And I'm glad that you take the time to, uh, uh, to go through the scriptures with me and learn this, this, these great truths that you learn every week. Uh, at Faith Baptist. So I'd ask that you would take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I titled this message, as uh, again, as your missionary over in Ireland, I titled this, this message, Not in Vain. And I'll explain this kind of um, uh, as we go along, and you'll see how all of this fits together, because we're going to look at two people, two very interesting men in the Bible. And uh, we're going to understand grace from the viewpoint of, of two different lives that were affected by grace and how it affected them, or more importantly, how it didn't. <clears throat> so, uh, let me ask you a question as you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, you ever done anything that you discovered was a complete waste of time, uh, where, where all of your effort was for nothing? Um, uh, you know, uh, maybe... Uh, mom spends an hour and a half fixing dinner and then everybody phones and says, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late or I'm not going to eat or I'm going to eat at, um, at so-and-so's house. And all of that effort was in vain. Um, well, that's the meaning of vanity or in vain. When you waste something that was a gift to you, like wasting your time or your money or your talents or um, uh, some gift that you give to someone else, when you let a priceless gift that was given to you fall to the ground. Now, it would be the most rude thing ever for you to go out of your way and spend a lot of time um, uh, searching and finding and then paying for a gift to somebody. And as soon as you gave it to them, they looked at it and then they just let it fall to the ground. They walk away. That would be the epitome of rudeness. Well, the other, uh, one more illustration would be here's uh, in a football game, you've got somebody and the quarterback uh, sets back and passes that ball. And as it goes, um, there's, there's the receiver and he catches it and then he just simply drops it and then he walks off the field. <clears throat> that would have been that would have been a wasted effort to put the ball into somebody's hand who's supposed to be going towards the end goal. Well, I want you to understand that all too often grace is treated that way. It is dropped to the ground. Now there are three facts about grace. One is God constantly gives everyone Grace. Now, I asked you first to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you something here in verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, with God, beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. 
Do you see that? That you wouldn't be like that football player who receiving something that went to so much effort to get into your hands, and as you get it, you just drop it to the ground. That we, uh, uh, we implore you that God has given us grace that you wouldn't just let it be in vain. You see, God has constantly given us grace. Uh, one of the great, if, you go, if you're in 2 Corinthians, go to James, James chapter 4 and verse 6. Right after the book of Hebrews comes the book of James chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, but he, God, giveth more grace. When it says giveth, it's a, it's a continuous action. He gives more grace. There's more grace always than what we need. He, and we say, well, I guess I've used up all of God's grace. You can't do that. He's constantly giving everyone something called grace. Uh, now, you say, what is grace? Grace is kindness or preference shown without regard to the worth or merit of the one who's receiving it. And in spite of what the person deserves, you go ahead and you give it. So grace is when you give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. So somebody asks me, how are you doing? I say, usually better than I deserve. That's grace. God is being kind to me when I don't deserve it, okay? So grace is being kind and compassionate towards someone who does not deserve it. It is never, secondly, it is never free to the giver. It always costs. It costs the recipient, you and me, nothing, all right? But it costs the giver a lot. And if you ever have grace towards someone else, you're going to hurt for it. You're going to be struggling with, oh, I don't want to do this. This is really painful. And it actually hurts to give it, too. So it not only costs to, 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 to give it, it hurts to give it. But God does it. God gives grace. And here's the third point about grace, okay? If I can just get to, I'm going to get to my message here, is that it can be wasted. God gives um, uh, us life and breath, and he gives us um, our, our families, he gives us our, our, our freedoms, he gives the things that the government is trying to declare that it gives, it, God has already given. And we can waste those gifts, can't we? We can ignore those gifts, neglect it, right? A lot of people neglect the gospel. They, they get a gospel track and they put it down. They just put it off. They say, well, maybe when I get older or whatever, I might consider it. It can be abused. You think about Lot. God was very kind to Lot. Lot should not have had all the kindness shown to him, and yet he had it. He was surrounded by the same kindness that God was showing to Abraham. And yet Lot, Lot came along and he abused God's grace throughout his entire life. Now, he was a saved man, but you wouldn't want to... Um, you wouldn't call it, wouldn't want to call him your nephew or your brother or your uncle. And so modern Christians do a third thing to grace and they, they twist it and they change it. And they say that, well, it doesn't matter how I live anymore. I don't, I don't have to worry about what I do or I don't do. That's twisting and abusing grace. So wouldn't it be a, the worst tragedy if God made available all of his grace at such a high cost to himself and then people not allow it to do what it was designed to do? Wouldn't it be terrible if it was received in vain? Now I want to show you two men, two powerful examples of how two men reacted to God's grace and you need to decide which one you want to be like, all right? So go to Mark chapter 15, we'll spend our time here in this book, Mark chapter 15 in verse one. Again, thank you for taking the time uh, to spend in the Word of God this morning uh, 
and I pray that it's a, a challenge to you to not just have information, but have conviction in your heart. Wow, wow, grace has been given to me. What am I doing with it? Okay, so Mark chapter 15, we're going to read these first five verses here in straightway. In the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. Now, this is, you're going to see where this is going on right here. This is um, uh, at the, just before the crucifixion of Jesus. And they bound Jesus and they carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said unto him, Thou sayest it, you said it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Verse 4, And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? He's quite frustrated. Why aren't you defending yourself? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now this is the final confrontation uh, and the final condemnation of Jesus. It's been a long night. Uh, Jesus has already been condemned by the Pharisees and Sadducees and the entire Sanhedrin uh, ruling class uh, of the Jewish government. And Jesus brought before the Roman governor now because the Sanhedrin could not condemn a man to die. So they needed Pilate to do that. So some serious accusations were presented, but not one bit of evidence. Anybody can accuse you of all kinds of things. Isn't it funny how people make accusations without any evidence and it destroys their lives? Well, so many people made a lot of accusations about Jesus, but not one bit of evidence. And uh, Pilate knew that, that Jesus was being, being trapped, but this is the final condemnation of Jesus. And, and Pilate's like, I got to figure a way out of this thing. Look at verse 6. And at that feast, he, re he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one, now notice this guy, and you ought to circle his name, Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him. They had not just caused a riot, but they had tried to overturn the Roman government. They had, they had turned people into a riot and were burning and looting and murdering and, and killing Roman soldiers and trying to drive out the Romans. Had made an insurrection with Barabbas, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him, Pilate, to do as he had ever done unto them. So I want you to notice every Passover, and this is Passover, just before Passover uh, uh, day, this is during the Passover week, Pilate always actually act very nice, like a good politician. He would try to appease the people and say, you know, I'll give you one of your criminals, one of the political prisoners, we'll release, who do you want, okay? And so this is, do as you always have done every year. But, uh, but Pilate answered them saying, will I, that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Now they knew who that was. Now, he's sort of mocking. He says, do you want the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. So he goes to the people and he says, you know, these Pharisees, they're jealous of his, his uh, notoriety and his popularity. So people, you want me to give you your king? In verse 11, but the chief priests had already moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. So they got to say, release Barabbas, ask for Barabbas. Verse 12, and Pilate answered, and said unto them, What will ye then that I should do unto him that ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Crucify him. All right, now, he had tried to, to get out of the situation by offering two men. He said, There's Barabbas and there's Jesus. And it was obvious, Barabbas was a dangerous man. Barabbas was, was a threat to not only the government, but to society in general. Nobody would trust Barabbas to not just go out and cause another insurrection, go out and murder indiscriminately. 
Uh, that's what terrorists do. They, they don't care what the cost is. They just want to bring about change. They want to destroy or whatever. So um, the, uh, uh, um, there's a surprise choice made. He thought that everybody would choose Jesus and uh, Pilate would pardon him and everything would be over and done and dusted. All right. But uh, uh, they made a surprise choice, didn't they? You know, people are fickle. That's why, you know, every time we have a vote, and we, we get to choose our leaders, we better pray more than ever because people are fickle. Uh, people are easily influenced. Um, what is popular today is usually very unpopular tomorrow, and it goes in cycles there. So before Pilate even knew it, they were crying out, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So... Uh, Pilate asked, oh, um, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, so if, if Jesus is going to be crucified, what does that mean for Barabbas? Well, he's set free. Look there in verse, uh, let's keep going. Verse um, um, 14, then Pilate said to them, why, what evil hath Jesus done? And they cried out, the more exceedingly crucify him. And so, verse 15, Pilate willing to contend the people. He had to keep it quiet. He couldn't let a riot again occur. He released Barabbas under them. Think of that word released. He pardoned Barabbas. Where he was willing right then to let Jesus go, he allowed and he passed a pardon upon a, a, a murderer. And he says he's to be released. Watch those words. He released Barabbas unto them, and he delivered Jesus. He's now put all of the crimes, all of the accusations that the Pharisees could ever come up with, and put it on to Jesus. Delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So he sends him off. He's whipped and beaten, and he's abused, and he's spit upon, and then he's crucified. Now, <clears throat> Barabbas is set free. This very guilty, get the picture here, very guilty man is set free. It's absolutely illogical that anybody would do that, okay? Uh, an innocent man is now going to be executed, and a very guilty man is walking away free. All of the records of the crimes, every name of every person that Barabbas had killed was now forgotten. Barabbas could walk into that crowd and no Roman soldier could go after him. Nobody could remind him of his um, uh, past acts. Barabbas was now going to be able to live as if he had never done one thing wrong. He had been pardoned. Now, would you agree that he was unworthy of that? Would you agree that he shouldn't be allowed to do that? Wouldn't you agree that Barabbas should have been made to pay for his crimes? Of course you would. That's normal human nature. We know that. And yet here he is. Barabbas has received grace. <laughs> now, that is this picture is a picture of the born-again Christian who we are guilty and we should pay. I mean, we just said it about Barabbas. We better say it about ourselves. You say, well, I'm not that bad. You're bad enough. You're never going to be good enough to walk into the streets of heaven and walk in there as a saint. You'll never be good enough. You deserve hell. I deserve the punishment of God for all eternity. I am sinning not just against people. When I sin, I sin against God. And this infinite being has an infinite punishment. And 
And yet, God took all of my crimes and put it on his son, and I get to go and walk away pardoned. Isn't that wonderful? Barabbas is a great picture of somebody who doesn't deserve salvation. If you think you deserve being saved, you got the wrong idea. Barabbas is you and me. Now, maybe he went a little further than you and I did, but Jesus said, if you think hatred in your heart against somebody else as if you murdered them in your heart, God says that is wrong, sinful, wicked. It is enough to send you to hell. You've got to take this thing seriously about how much God has forgiven us. Barabbas walked away free. But here's the, that's not even the message. Here's the message. You ready? What did Barabbas do with that gift, with that second chance, with that new life he got? Hmm. We never hear of him again. That's the last time. I mean, we've got a lot more New Testament to go, don't we? We've got the entire book of Acts. You've got, you hear of people who are affected by grace and they go on for God. Barabbas, that freedom, that event, we, we hear nothing more. With such a sight as another man, I mean, here's, here's Barabbas. From that moment on, he sees what Jesus has to go through, the beatings, the crucifixion, hanging on the cross. Would it not have affected you? Could it not have had one simple, one powerful effect on you? Barabbas, I mean, if you saw somebody hanging on your, that was Barabbas's cross, by the way. If you saw somebody dying in your place, taking your place, wouldn't it affect you? If you saw what grace had purchased for you to be free, wouldn't it make a difference? Wouldn't you expect Barabbas, Barabbas to be a different man now? Yet we never hear. We never know. I think it would have been awesome to have heard of Barabbas falling on his face and crying out to God and admitting that he should have died on that cross. And that Jesus didn't deserve such dishonor and abuse. And that he himself deserved to perish and spend an eternity in hell for all the wicked things that he had done. It would have been awesome to hear of Barabbas falling on his face, crying out, saying, I'm so wrong. Don't let Jesus take my place. That's not right. Would have been a great blessing to read of Barabbas gathering his family around him. Can you imagine him going home? <laughs> and he going, honey, I'm home. And they go, I thought you were dead. I thought they were going to, I didn't want you to come home. I haven't wanted you to see you in years because you're an angry, evil, wicked man. And here he is going, wouldn't it have been wonderful to hear of him going to his home and gathering his family and hugging them, saying, I'm a changed man. I've been given a second chance. Somebody took my place on the cross. I, I'm able to come home to you now because of that man. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to hear of that? And yet we don't. I think Barabbas is a picture of somebody who received the grace of God in vain. God gave him grace and he did nothing with it. So let me show you another man who didn't receive it in vain. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You're in Mark. I go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 1 and verse 11. We're reading down to verse 16. It says this, according to the glorious gospel. I like how Paul talks about the gospel. He usually uses a great adjective to describe it. He says the glorious gospel of the blessed God. You know, when somebody's good to you, you say, they're, man, they're a blessing. He said, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust, it was given to me and I hold it now. Verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who hath enabled me, that he hath counted me faithful, even putting me into the ministry. 
who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. What? That's what he was. Just like Barabbas. Look at that. He's a blasphemer against God. He was a persecutor of Christians and injurious. That means he hurt people. <laughs> he even murdered them. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. Look what he's saying. This is something I can't stop saying. Worthy of all acceptation. Everybody should accept this to be true, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save Barabbases, to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Barabbas was a pretty bad guy, but you know what Saul says? Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, you know what he says? I'm the chief. I'm worse than Barabbas. And yet God gave me grace. Saul of Tarsus, um, uh, he was the worst of sinners, even though so religious. Don't you believe that religion makes people better? It may make them moral, but it doesn't make them better. Uh, Saul of Tarsus promoted the murder of Christians. I mean, he's, he's shouting when Stephen is stoned. He's uh, uh, shouting and calling for Christians up in Damascus to be gathered up and dragged down to Jerusalem to be, and he's hunting to, to bring them down to get them punished and even killed. He tortured, it didn't matter whether they were men or women, children didn't matter. He went as far as torture them until they died. That was Saul of Tarsus. But then God's grace was poured out on him on the road to Damascus, wasn't it? Knocked him off his horse, looking at that light that was brighter than the sun, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you fighting me? Saul said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Right there, right then, he realized he was fighting the one who had grace towards him. <clears throat> and he changed. See, he received the gift. Uh, he, he's, he's be, you got to understand something about the cross. The cross already paid for every sin ever committed in the past, present, or future. It paid for all sin of all time. When you get that idea, all God asks you to do is right now is to receive it, is to accept it. You've already been paid for. Grace has been extended. He's pouring it out. If you'll just say, I'll take a drink. See what Saul did at that moment on the road to Damascus, he accepted and received it. Now Barabbas, he was a recipient of it, but he never received it. Let me see what the difference is. He never took it to heart. To him, it was a, form, it was a, it was a formal act of uh, declaration of you're now free to go. But he was still the same person on the inside. It never, he never received it as I've been forgiven. Now, Saul, he received it like a gift. He knew he couldn't earn it. He knew he was wicked. He just believed that God meant it when he says that he offers it to sinners. And he says, I am one. <clears throat> it made him a different man. All uh, that he became was not his own strength or his own wisdom or his own learning, but all that he became was because of the grace of God. I'll show you this. I'll go ahead and take you there. Would you go with me now to 1 Corinthians, back to the left, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 10. He received it as a gift. You know, somebody comes along and they buy you something or they give it. What are you supposed to do? 
Don't go, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't give that to me. No, no, I, 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 that's, that's not what you need to do. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to say thank you. <laughs> just, just humbly say thank you. I, 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 I'm honored. And you know, Saul of Tarsus, he received the gift. It made him a different man, and he determined from that moment on, it was not going to be wasted. Look at your Bible. Find uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the what? It's because of God pardoning me, forgiving me, being kind to me when I didn't deserve it, and I still don't deserve it. That has made me what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me. Now, when we think of bestow, it's like giving something to someone, yes. But here, get the idea that it's poured out. It's like, like just overwhelming, flooding. And the grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored. Now that I'm, now that I'm forgiven, now that I'm saved, now that I'm a child of God instead of the child of the devil, I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I. What was doing the labor? What was motivating the labor? What was pushing him to work so hard as a Christian? The grace of God, which was with me. So grace had an effect on him, and that's my goal. You see, why am I a missionary? What am I doing over in Ireland? It's because of the grace of God on my life. I didn't choose to be a missionary and then get saved. That's kind of stupid. That's way backwards. But when God saved my soul, and then I heard some missionaries, um, just after I got saved, we had a missions conference, and I heard eight different missionaries preaching over and over and over uh, through, the, through um, um, a, a, a week-long missions conference, talking about the world going to hell and needing the gospel and needing somebody to go. And, you know, I just said, well, I, man, it worked for me. I'll go if you need me, Lord, if you want to use me. And I just remember the Lord saying, let's go. Why would I do that? Because of God's grace toward me? Because I didn't want God's grace to be in vain that he had given me. He gave me a great gift. He gave me a second chance to, to live. I'm not going to live the way I used to now. I want to live differently. I, I want to live like, like the one who gave me the gift. I want to be like him. Grace has that effect. Grace. Uh, it, it, it was not wasted in Paul's life, and he turned God's kindness into hard work. Now, I'm going to understand what I'm about to say, and I'm going to finish up with, with these thoughts here. God's grace is given. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't rise up to some level in order to receive it. It's kind of stupid. It's kind of like somebody drowning and uh, thinking that they have to get above the water in order for them to get help. No, 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 no. You're sinking. You need somebody to get down to your level and reach down, grab you, pull you out of that thing. And what, what uh, a, a believer does is we, we don't ever try anything. We stop whatever we're trying to do. You need to stop thinking that by going to more church and by, by praying more prayers and giving away more money, you're going to finally get God's attention Will he might, not, might decide to be nice to you. No, no. He's already been nice to you. He actually loves you. He actually has poured out his grace on you. He actually let Jesus die for you. If you were the only person on this planet alive, he still would have gone and had to have died just for you. Didn't have to die for everybody. Only he died just for you. And when you receive that grace, the question is, 
Will you receive it in a way where it changes your life? And then you turn that kindness to you into a labor. We call it a labor of love. There's no work to get saved, but guaranteed there is a work after you get saved. Um, uh, once you're saved, you should get to work. You should be busy. Paul said, I look at what he says there. In, in, in verse 10 again, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. I'm not going to let it fall to the ground. I'm not just going to waste it. And the grace was bestowed upon me and uh, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. You know who the they are? Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Nathaniel. All of the other disciples and apostles, he said, because God had so much grace on a sinner like me, I was not going to let them love God more than me. I'm not going to let them serve God more than me. I'm not going to let them win souls more. I'm going to labor more than they all. Isn't that a different way to live? Titus chapter 2. I'll talk about that in just a second. But Titus chapter 2, <clears throat> in verse 12. Start in verse 11, will you? <clears throat> Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God... His kindness that bringeth salvation, it hath appeared to how many men? Everyone. It's appeared. It's coming to this world for all. You say, well, I'm too far gone. You are not. If, if you are, then Bar Barabbas was. But he wasn't. It hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. It has a way of affecting us, that denying ungodliness now. That's your old life. That's the old man. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly now, righteously and godly in this present world. Don't wait till heaven until you start living holy. You live now holy. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Look at the cost of grace. Remember, it always costs the giver and always hurts the giver to give it. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. <laughs> His grace didn't just overlook sin. It paid for it. It redeemed us back from all the, the, the power of iniquity in our life so that we could be free <clears throat> and purify. That's an ongoing process, folks. Unto himself a peculiar people, different kind of people, zealous of good works. You ought to enjoy putting out the effort, serving the Lord in church. It ought to be a thrill for you to, to be in competition with others. It, when I say that, and I want you to understand what my words here, I'm using kind of extreme language here, but understand there ought to be a fight to be a, 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 a blessing to people in church. There ought to be a, a, a yearning that I want to go out of my way. I want to labor more than, than, than anybody else in, in soul winning and in being a blessing to people, just finding out what needs to be done. That, that we ought to be zealous. What do we call that today? Fanatics. New Testament Christianity has always been fanatical. Don't let the past generations have all the fun. Right now, today, 21st century here, 2021, this church, Christians in this church ought to be so excited, zealous of good works. Zealous. You know, you ought to be zealous to read your Bible through every year. You ought to say, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to make sure the pastor is not the only one reading through his Bible 
reading his Bible every day and reading it through every year. I want to be, I want to labor as hard, if not harder. Don't let him be the only one that has all the fun uh, going out soul winning and persuading men uh, to be saved. Men and women need to be, need to be persuaded, need to be in, uh, encouraged that they can trust God and know it. Don't let him be the only one having all the fun. Be zealous of the good works that turn this nation back to God. Don't think that you can't do much in church. Whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to, do it with all your might. <clears throat> do it with passion. Do it because of grace. Has God given you any grace? Has grace done anything in your life? And here's the question, does it show? Or did you, are you like Barabbas? You know about the cross. You see what he did for you, but you just are lost in the crowd and it has no more effect on you. That's, that's vain, that's wasted, and that's lost. There is still more grace available, dear friend. There's enough grace for you today. There's enough grace that God has towards you where he's able to forget. He's able to forget about your past because of what Christ did. I mean, an all-knowing God decides to forget about your sin because he chose to let his son pay for every one of them. That's grace. And he's got enough grace to cover your past, your present, and your future. Even if you've wasted a lot of years, you can today decide, I'm going to make sure that God's grace is not in vain. I'm not going to be a lot. I'm not going to be somebody who, who uh, abuses grace. You know, when somebody's kind to, uh, when you're kind to somebody and they just brush it off, you go, well, I'm not going to be kind to them anymore. <laughs> and that how nature is, and yet God is still kind and kind and kind. Wouldn't it be wise to wake up and go, I shouldn't abuse God's kindness. Don't waste the grace of God. Don't drop the ball, dear Christian. And let it fall to the ground. God gave you a job to do. Mine is to go to Ireland and, and, and soul win there and church plant there. And, and I've been doing it for 27 years. Have you dropped the ball? Did God ever put on your heart to go and pick up gospel tracts and start putting them out? then don't let it be wasted. Start doing it again. You say, I've, 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 I've fallen away. Well, get back in. You see, God's got grace. He gives more grace. <laughs> it's there. All you have to do is receive it. Make sure you don't receive it in vain. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you use real people to show us these incredible truths that we would never understand unless we saw it. In somebody else's life. And Lord, I'm grateful for Saul of Tarsus and Barabbas because everybody falls on one side or the other. And it's shame on us where we try to fall in the middle and we try to not really be too zealous and yet not too wasted. God, I pray we'd get on either in or out, hot or cold. And Father, I, I just thank you for um, that you have grace. And that all the expectations of God are poured out and expected of Jesus Christ. Now, the only desire is on me now to say, Lord, I don't want it to be in vain. You've been so good to me. You've given me life, breath, family, church. You gave me salvation. You gave me a Bible. Lord, don't let it be in vain. By the end of my life, I want to have read your Bible through every year. By the end of my life, I want to live what I learn in this Bible. By the end of my life, I want my kids to be saved, my grandkids. I want uh, my neighbors to know that they know that they know 
that Craig Ledbetter is a Christian and he's prayed for and burdened about their lost souls. Lord, don't let your grace be in vain in my or anybody's life. And if somebody has listened to these words and has, has never been born again, doesn't know what it means to be born again, may they contact Pastor Miller. May they um, uh, make the effort to, to open up the Bible, read John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, and read that Jesus meant it when he said, you must be born again. You can't be, your, your first birth is not good enough. You must be born of the Spirit in the heart by receiving the grace of God. You say, I don't understand how to do it. Just, just cry out to Christ. Cry out and say, Jesus, please save me. I know I'm no good. I understand I'm just like Barabbas. I've never killed anybody, but I've thought about it. <laughs> and I know that I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough ever to go to heaven. But if you had grace for Barabbas, and you, you had paid for his forgiveness, even though he didn't receive it, I do receive it now. I want it. I ask you, please save me, please. I guarantee you, if you'll pray that prayer, you're just praying what Saul did and what every other Christian did, and that is you're receiving the grace of God. And from that day forward, today, you'll not let it be in vain. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.